On the Grindhouse Girls podcast, we discuss all things spoopy, scary, and strange. Some content may be disturbing or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Grindhouse Girls friends and fam. Stepping back into the early 1970s, writer and actor Bill Gunn was approached by an independent production company to make what they called a black vampire movie. Gunn had no want of any kind to do this kind of movie. However, he was still feeling the pain of his first feature film being shelved and decided he could make a different type of vampire film. He decided he would use addiction as a metaphor for vampirism. And even though his budget was limited, he would have almost complete creative control of this movie. The movie premiered with moderate critical success, especially at Cannes, where it was the only American film to screen for Critics Week. However, it didn't appeal to the average audience, or should we say, the average white audience. After its release, in an effort to make more money from the film, the producers sold Gunn's creative, thought-provoking, experimental film to a distributor that drastically recut it, taking out key scenes, creating a different score, and taking away Gunn's vision. Naturally, Gunn and many people involved with his film disowned this version of the movie. Despite a career filled with years of writing, including two published novels, and colleagues that seemingly adored him, he would never get the recognition from Hollywood he deserved and passed away too young at the age of 54. His film, Ganja and Hesto, as you may have guessed the film we're talking about, has disturbingly become a cult classic, and Gunn, so ahead of his time, creative achievements are still being discussed. So sit back, don't go still in plasma, this is the Grindhouse Girls Podcast. This is Katie. Hi there, I'm Brittany. And uh, this is the Grindhouse Girls podcast, as we said in the intro. I'm still getting used to us having an intro. I love our intro. I think it sounds so much better, but I'm also like, it's Grindhouse Girls podcast. Can I say it eight times? In my head, I always like to think if it was somebody like me, if they listened to the intro, could they guess the film by the end of it? But then I'm like, also, we have Mm. the title of the movie, literally. (laughs) Like, it's right there when you click on the episode, so. I mean, but maybe they just hit play. I don't know. Y'all tell us. You tell us. I don't know. But I feel like you have to put the name of the movie in because when you search it, I know what I want to know about a movie that I haven't seen yet and I want to listen to a podcast about it. I just put the movie name in and look up episodes on Spotify and oh, I'm yeah. just like, oh, here's all these things. So That's awesome. How are you doing, Britt? I'm okay. I uh, You you already know this because we talked beforehand, but I'm like, mm-hmm. have a headache, which is unusual. So I took a BC powder and I'm like, ooh, I feel a little hot right now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> How are you, Britt's got a hot mic. I'm okay. It's been, I don't know, I've had a rough couple of weeks mentally. Mm -hmm. I'm okay, but I'm just having, like, a rough time, so sorry if I don't sound, like, the happiest, y'all. But it's almost Valentine's Day. (laughs) I feel like that depresses me. So I don't, I've never been a huge proponent of Valentine's Day, even when 
I was in a relationship. I just feel like it is kind of a greeting card company thing, but it's also nice. But I, the commercial started like three weeks ago and there are all these stupid Valentine's Day commercials on YouTube that you can't skip, which I think is the stupidest thing. I hate commercials that you can't skip on YouTube. I'm like, five seconds, let me skip it. Because I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to buy anybody anything on 1-800-Flowers. Please stop telling me that I need to buy someone something on 1-800-Flowers. I'm not anti-Valentine's Day. It's just, I don't know. It just rubs it in. I never understood why people were so annoyed by it. And I'm like, I understand now. It's very annoying. Uh, I don't think we, I don't know if we had any housekeeping. I didn't take housekeeping notes, but I don't remember anything from East Bayou that we messed up. But please let us know if we did. Um, if you guys can comment that somewhere or DM us because we've had a weird couple recording weeks. So I'm not sure if we have, we, I didn't have any notes. Did you have any notes from last week? I didn't, I didn't see anything. You know, usually I try to jot something down the margins of my notebook. If I, if I'm like, oh, I need to go discuss that. And I don't have margin notes like I'd usually do on some of ours. So. Okay. I think we're good. Yay. It's always great. We don't have a lot of notes. Um, did yes. you watch anything? I think you watched a lot of movies this week, and I watched a lot of TV shows this week. Yes, yeah, so really. I did. I did only watch. I actually watched two movies in the um, the first three episodes of a TV series, and so I was <gasps> is it starring... the one that I watched. Oh, is it the one you watched? Oh, I watched the oh. first three episodes of a TV series on Netflix this week. Oh, me too. That's me the too number one is. series on Netflix this week. Uh, is it Korean? Is, is it a Korean zombie drama? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> we both watched All of Us Are Dead. <laughs> yeah. I only got three episodes in, and I had to watch the third episode with dubbing because I was cooking, and I realized I couldn't read and cook at the same time. But it, I like it. Do you like it? Yes. Uh, I will say, so um, you probably love this. Me and Taylor love this. The Last Train to Busan reference. Uh, we're like, yes. Uh, <laughs> Last Train to Busan. Uh walk so uh we're all dead could run um but i i no spoilers but uh did you also think of this third episode you're like you fucking bitch and that's all i will say yes yes that reminded me i meant to text a friend about that because they told me about another korean zombie movie a few months ago sweet home and i was like i meant to text them on sunday when i started watching it and i didn't so i just texted them they're probably asleep but i'm like (laughs) i'm like text them and see if they watched it um yeah i was really pissed off about that lady i love i love korean tv shows they're so good. i need to watch more of the romance shows because like i've almost watched them so many times and then i've just not but there's a lot of like korean like funny adorable romance shows that i'm like i want to watch these I don't know if you um, if you thought this about All of Us Are Dead, that it's like, it's so serious, and then there will just be these moments of humor um, that yes. seem really, like, out of place. So it'll be, like, something's in slow motion, or something, like, really, like, ha- dramatic happens that you're like, there's no way they could survive that. So I always thought that was yeah. an interesting tone to be, like, 80% serious, 20% comedy. I don't know. Yes. But that's kind of like Busan was like that too, where there'd be like something really funny and then it'd be really, really serious and make you cry. But it was also like, it felt like Busan was also grounded a little bit more in reality, which how realistic can a zombie movie be? I get it. But it felt a little bit more grounded compared to like someone jumping out a window and managing to grab onto a hose. Like once again, not telling who jumps out the window and grabs onto a fire hose. It just happens. Yeah. I will say they're killing people off 
faster than I would have expected in a show about teenagers. It's like Game of Thrones. I know. I was like, oh, no. Actually, you know what, though? I had two of the the two main guys. They have, like, very similar floppy hair. And I mixed them up because I thought one of the best friend, the neighbor guy, was the same guy as the guy that likes the president. Yes. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I thought he likes the other girl. And then I realized they were standing next to each other. I was like, oh, it's the same dudes. They're different yeah, dudes. Yeah, and they're best. They just they're have the like same good hair. friends. They're good friends. Yeah, and they're too. friends. But then there was yeah. a third good friend, and something was happening to the third good friend, and I was like, wait, I thought it was that guy. And I'm, I need to pay more attention and not cook while I watch TV shows, especially in a language I don't understand. I get it. We actually, I will be honest, uh, we've watched the dub of this so far, and we watched the dub of Squid Games, which was a very, very poor decision because the dubbing is not very good. And it's amazing how these are, like, number one Netflix shows that must have, like, multi-million dollar budgets, and yet the dubbing is poor. I never understand that. What if they, like, pull, like, a Resident Evil and just basically nuke the entire city? Like... I always forget that right? happened in Resident <laughs> Evil. I always forget that happened. Every time. Every game. You're just, like, you reach the end, and it's just, like, a nuke, like, drops. And, I like, forget it's not about funny, that. I honestly, like, it. I've... Mm-hmm. blocks it out of my memory but i did watch that um and then i watched two other things so i watched nightmare alley which is <gasps> uh, on Hulu. i need to watch that um yes it's del toro and it's okay so cinematography is on fleek do people still say that anymore um, i don't know but the cinematography is beautiful <laughs> i won't judge I, you yeah i know it's like i'm I'm the outdated millennial. Uh, <laughs> cinematography is great. Uh, production t- design is beautiful. I mean, it's a Del Toro movie, so you wouldn't expect any less. Right. Costumes are amazing. It's a little long. It's two hours and 40 minutes. It felt a little meandering a at times. But I still liked That's it. Good. I still liked it. So it wasn't bad. I recommend I it. I plan on watching it now. The- this weekend along with the Super Bowl. So. Ooh. Yes. Now, the other thing, the last thing I did watch, uh, I absolutely loved. So, um, which I had a feeling, because I was telling Taylor I had my Oscar predictions for the nominees. And I was like, I think this movie's going to be best, be nominated for Best Animated, Best International Feature Film, and Best Documentary. I don't think it's going to win in the international, and I don't think it's going to win animated, but I do think this movie's going to win Best Documentary. Okay. And I watched Fleet. I watched Flea. Oh. Now, it's an hour and a half. Um, I had no idea until the opening credits that Nicola Coaster-Waldo, who played Jamie oh, yeah. on Game of Thrones, produced it. And so did Riz Ahmed. That's the only thing I know about it. And Taylor told me what it was vaguely about. And I was like, I think I might have to take a beat before I watch that. That sounds really depressing. Uh, I cried probably three times. Like, no lie. But I loved it. It is 90 minutes long. It's not very long. And the ending sequences is one of my favorite endings I think I've seen in a film. And that's hard for me because I love a lot of endings in a lot of movies. But this took my breath away. I'm curious why it's getting nominated for documentary and feature. International feature. I thought you could only be one or the other. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little confused. I don't... I think you can be... I think you can be both. Like, I think you can cross over into many different categories. I think this is... I don't know if this is the first crossover between International Feature and Best Documentary. I need to look that up. You gotta get me on my Oscar trivia now. now. I'm not gonna pull a (laughs) angry man about Parasite or anything. I'm not angry about it. I was just kind of, I was like, huh? 
I didn't think you could be best international yeah. feature and best documentary. I thought it had to be like either your. I thought international feature had to be like not a documentary for some reason, but I don't yeah. think they have an international documentary category. So maybe that's the loophole. Yeah. Now I was impressed, and I won't go on the whole Oscar tangent because I know we're going to film an Oscar episode yes. in a couple weeks. Um, I thought it was really cool that uh, the worst person in the world got best original screenplay nod. Mm-hmm. I thought that was awesome. And I thought Drive My Car getting a best adapted screenplay mm-hmm. nomination was really And cool. director, so too, right? We have seen more. F- yes. Yeah. And director. So that's, I thought that was, all- and best picture. Yeah. It was nominated. Drive My Car is yeah. nominated for best Which picture. So we still have I'm to like, catch. Oh, my God. We got a COVID scare the week we were going to see it, and we didn't want to spread COVID. We didn't have it. Neither one of us did, but. We yeah. we were like, ah, oh, maybe cancel those plans. Don't be typhoid Mary. I know. I literally, um, when they announced that, I kind of screamed because I was so happy. But then it was also the only one I didn't see. And I was yeah. like, fuck. I know. And I, I think, so what is it, in March or something? Like, it might be available to stream before the Oscars. I hope. I'm really hoping. Um, but I didn't know Nightmare Alley was going to come out, like, last week. So maybe it will. Um, but yeah, I, I want to see Flea, but I'm also like, I don't want to have like, uh, if in, in case anything happens, I love you, that one, which I think did win the Oscar last year. Loved it. Balled my eyes out. Um, yeah, yeah it was pretty, yeah, pretty awful, but good. Like it's good. I ended up watching two movies. I finally watched Zola, which is ah. really entertaining, but way more about human trafficking than anything else it actually like highlights how easily people even people who have their wits about them can be human trafficked um because that's basically what the plot line is um but not in like a dark depressing way it's more of like in a like i can't believe this is fucking happening to me this is a crazy story kind of thing and everybody surrounding zola is very excuse this word but ratchet is the only thing i could think of to describe all the people around her and um, Greg, cousin Greg from Succession, Nicholas Braun, I think is his real name. Yes. Um, is actually, like, in this movie as comic relief. And I was like, it's cousin Greg from Succession. Highly recommend. It's streaming, I think, on Amazon Prime or Showtime. One of those. Um, and then I also watched, because this movie finally got me to watch this movie. This has been on my list for, like, two years. Uh, Dolomite is my name, which is an autobiographical movie about how they made the movie Dolomite, which since we're doing an exploitation movie from the 70s, I was like, oh, I'm gonna watch Dolomite is my name because it's a little, I mean, I knew about Dolomite and I know about Rudy Ray Moore, but I was like, that's funny. It's very good. I really liked it. Have you seen it yet? I haven't, but I've heard so much. It's great. It's very entertaining. It actually has a pretty like happy ending and like it's very like hopeful, but also like doesn't kind of blind you to like how fickle success can be and um it's it uh shines a lot of light on how this movie that we're gonna cover this week like how it gets made because of the budget constraints in the 70s and the physical limitations of not having a big budget and having to like instead of like build a set you rent a house or you rent a hotel or something like that's this movie had the same thing so i was like oh research but also it's it's a comedy so it's not like one of those biopics where it's depressing um it's very funny i really like it and eddie murphy is extremely great in that movie and i 
I one of my coworkers was like, yeah, he does not get enough credit. I'm like, I agree. Eddie Murphy doesn't get enough acting credit because he is a good actor. I don't even know if he – did he get nominated that year? Everyone was talking about him getting nominated for that. I think he did. Because remember, I think he did get nominated, but Adam Sandler did for Uncut Gems. Oh. And so that was like – they're like – They don't like the Safety um, brothers, it seems like. So I watched those two movies, and then – I finally finished all of, I watched all of the episodes that I had left of In Just Like That. Horribly disappointed with the ending. I cannot believe Miranda is the same Miranda from the series. But I think. Okay, off yeah. topic, on topic. Sorry. So I lied. So he was not nominated for My Name is Dolomite. He was nominated for Best Supporting for Dream. Oh, yeah. But yeah, Sorry. yeah. So we went for Unfortunately, he didn't Okay, but yeah, so you were disappointed. And just like that, the ending, especially Miranda. Mm -hmm. And also, I think Brittany and I were texting about this, but I love Sarah Ramirez as a performer. They're obviously a very great Broadway performer and singer, but the cringy California Girl song, a lot of people on TikTok were in agreement. It was super cringy. And also, I would be so fucking pissed if my partner decided to tell me they were moving states spoilers um in front of a bunch of people i'd never met before like shay just i don't i like shay as a character they're an interesting addition to the world but i do not like how they and miranda are getting together it's not shay's fault it's miranda's fault miranda is being a shitty person in my opinion um but also Shay seems really chaotic. Like, hey, I'm just going to move to California. We have this. Also, she quits her podcast, but it's a podcast. You can record it remotely. Most podcasts I listen to, including one of the biggest podcasts in the world, last podcast on the left, they don't even live in the same city anymore. Like, two of them live in L.A. One of them lives in, I think, New York. And sometimes they go to, like, Texas. So, like... I don't understand this, I have to quit the podcast. But I feel like that was just to get Carrie to have her own podcast. But Brittany, you pointed out a good point about Carrie. I forgot. Oh, okay. So Brittany said, she was like, I do think it's nice that they've kind of made the least relatable character, Carrie, the most relatable character. Because she's like so much better in this series than she ever was in Sex and the City. And I'm like, I agree. This was Carrie's... This was Carrie's redemption yeah. series because, like, <laughs> as a okay, so the first time I watched Sex in the Series all the way through, I was in my early twenties, and I was like, "They're pretty. They have pretty yeah. clothing." And then the older I got, I was like, "What the fuck is wrong with Carrie?" And she's this a terrible series, friend. She's so sympathetic for Carrie. Yeah, she is not <laughs> a good friend. Um, but you feel so sympathetic for her. But in creating a very sympathetic storyline for Carrie, they kind of. Fucked over Charlotte and yes. Miranda storylines pretty Yeah, badly. Charlotte's not so. as egregious, but I think both Brittany and I no. are big Charlotte fans. So we're both like, Charlotte's fucking annoying this year. It's not as egregious as Miranda. I don't even feel like it's the same character with Miranda. But yeah. also, uh, I can't remember the TikTok, but a guy on TikTok, and I think I sent this to you, pointed out that yes. Miranda is acting, because she has a drinking problem at the beginning, she is acting like somebody who quits alcohol or some other addiction and doesn't do the work, just quits cold turkey, but then they just make horrible, horrible decisions. But anyways, being somebody who I've seen somebody go through that, where you just quit cold turkey, and then you just make terrible decisions, and you just have to watch that person do all the terrible decisions, 
maybe that's what they're doing with Miranda. It kind of feels like they don't have much of a plan, though. Yeah, they. I think they wanted to... So, the issue with this series is, one, it probably realistically just did not need to be done. Oh, At the yeah. end of the day, it is what it is. It didn't need to be filmed. It didn't need to be done. But... I think they took a lot of missteps mm-hmm. in this idea of... I think you may have said these, this exact thing verbatim. They were trying to be so woke. Yes. They, they did a lot of missteps yeah. in their efforts they're to be super woke. They're so hard. So. Like, that's what, like, the character of Che, when they're just having an interaction with other characters, they are fine. But when they're doing their stand-up, yeah. and their stand-up is literally only about them coming out and only about them being, like pro pride which is something i support yeah it's like nobody talks like that i don't know a single person in the pride movement who only talks about like hi this is my gender identity this is my sexual identity it's not an everyday like it's not it doesn't have to it doesn't leak into everybody's everyday conversations you know what it's interesting you said that me and a friend were talking about her co-worker and um she had he had said something and he was talking about seeing this guy and he and she said something like oh you know that's nice and he goes well you know i'm gay i i assume you know i'm gay and she goes you know what i actually don't assume anything like until someone tells me which is just the way our generation is and probably going to a liberal arts college we really don't assume anything but i've in, in this age, in this decade, in my 30s, mm-hmm. I don't have anybody that's gay that comes up to me and tells me they're gay. Yeah. It's just more like it comes out naturally over time if we become friends. Oh, well, also, how about how about the fact it treats these women like they're not living in New York City and haven't been most of their adult lives at this yes. point? So literally, okay, so Miranda's in her 50s, and she... Makes a big deal in the first episode about having a black professor and how, like, she's like, oh, I'm not saying you can't have dreads. And, like, she does this whole yeah. monologue. Miranda has li- been living in New York City since her 20s. She never met a black person her. before? This wouldn't even be a... <laughs> this would not even be a conversation no. that the Miranda from the original show would have. Right. Also, like, Miranda it, dated a black man, just, so why is she so mystified yeah. by black... I'm sorry. And I mean, this is it. Yeah, no, you're right because it just doesn't seem like the same case. And I, I said this to somebody else the other day. I said it feels like they forgot all the growth that they made with those characters when they played them 15 years ago. It's like it's been too long. You don't understand where those characters were. You can't play them anymore because it doesn't seem like they really are. Be- it's like they're just dressing up and pretending to be those characters, but they're not really like thinking through like. How would Miranda act in this situation? A very rational person. Like, and also, I don't believe that Steve and Miranda wouldn't have sex for years because the main reason they got together was they were a very sexual couple and they did have a dry spell and he cheated on her. But then, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe in the second movie that wasn't a thing. They were having sex again in the second movie. Yeah. So. Yeah, she left her firm in the second movie. That's mm-hmm. what was her big thing, was that she wanted more family time. Yeah. And that was her storyline. Because yeah. the other show I watched on HBO was The Gilded Age, which I'm big into historical dramas oh. and period pieces. And Miranda, Cynthia Nixon, is in that. And she's playing a very, like, quiet lady in it. And it's weird, because I'm like, oh, this is so different than what she's... Tr- she's going so over the top and ham on and just like that. And then she's like, oh... 
like she's like this like she's like a she's like a um spinster um she's like a spinster sister to uh christine baranski who's like this rich widow and um i'm liking it it's kind of like it's a little bit like bridgerton and um like downton abbey but in new york i love it i hope it doesn't get canceled because i love these kinds of shows and it's it's beautiful all the costuming is beautiful and everything and um, it's, it's funny and they're trying to have some representation without being like, over, like, but they're being very historically accurate about it too, which I prefer. Um, yeah. if you're going to have a historical show, you know, like they have the main character goes to live with her two aunts. She's from Pennsylvania. There's a, a woman who's black and she ends up helping her out when her purse gets stolen And so, like, to repay her, she's, like, it's raining when they arrive at her aunt's house. And she's, like, hey, can she stay the night? And her aunts are, like, okay. And so, like, they do a really cool thing with, like, some of the servants. Because this is, like, turn of the, it's, like, late 1800s when, like, America was becoming a melting pot. So a lot of, like, financial and cultural groups were mixing in and there was a lot of like turmoil with that like some people were really accepting and some people really weren't I mean we all know how that can be but this is an interesting look at like what happened about 150 years ago when everyone was trying to change society for the better and accept everybody and so like slavery had only been outlawed for like 20 years when this movie comes I mean when this tv show takes place so like some of the servants are racist bigots and some of them are like really cool and like, but they're not like overly woke about it. They're just like, hey, maybe we don't need to be a racist. And she ends up getting hired yeah. by one of the aunts to be her secretary because she went to a school and for like, like a, fin- like a secretarial school or something. Um, it was like a, I, it sounds like it was like a legit, really famous school in Pennsylvania, but I don't know the historical context. So I don't know if it's a real school or if they made it up. But basically, she ends up getting hired on and living at their house. And Audra McDonald plays her mom, and I was really excited because I love Audra McDonald. And it's filmed in New York, so, like, there's a bunch of, like, Broadway actors, like Christine Bransky, uh, Kelly O'Hara is a supporting part. And then, like, there's a family that moves in across the street that's quote-unquote new money. And one of the aunts is really snobby about it, and the other one isn't. And then, like, somebody's son is secretly seeing his male best friend, and that's, like, you know, taboo back then. So they're trying to be, like, like represent everybody without, like, going over the top and making it unbelievable. Like, there's no one, it doesn't seem anachronistic, which is hard when you do historical f- fiction because you're like, I want to represent people, but I also don't want to be a giant anachronism. Like, you can't be, like, like, you couldn't have, like, the pride flag in the 1880s because they didn't invent that until recently. But you can have a gay couple. But again, you have to make them hide it, which is really depressing. But anyways, yeah. so they've got a little bit of everything. And uh, Tessa Farmiga from uh, American Horror Story yes. American is the daughter of the New Money family. And um, she's nice. like, her mom like walks all over her. It's great. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of people that were in Sex in the City and and just like that that are parts in this too. Like New York actors that you would, like the girl that plays... Carrie's publisher in and just like that is like this funny society lady and she also was on rescue me years ago too and she was on uh mr robot uh she's like one of those people that pops up in shows and i'm like it's that lady she's funny 
Um, but yeah, I if you like period dramas that aren't super depressing, like if you like Downton Abbey, I would highly suggest it. I'm liking it. And no one has to have a British accent because it's in America. But they are talking like very proper and all that stuff. So I like it. So if you want to just get lost in pretty dresses and society drama, um, it's cool. And if you know anything about late 1800s, early 1900s, they do have historical figures come in and out that I'm like, oh, I know who that person is. It's interesting. <laughs> Stanford White's in it, and he's the guy whose murder uh, inspires a song in the musical Ragtime. Because it was the quote-unquote crime of the century. Ah. Teenage lover's husband, yeah, he uh, uh, put this girl, Evelyn Nesbitt, on a swing in his office when she was a literal teenager. I mean, it was 1880s, but still disgusting. Um, she's a child. And they were lovers for years. And then she, ma- when she was an adult, she married Mr. Harry Thaw, who was like, well, this is straight out of the lyrics from Ragtime. He was an eccentric millionaire. And then he finds out about, he's so jealous about her past relationship with Stanford White that he shot him on a rooftop during like a theater performance in New York City in front of the entire society. Ooh. So I wonder if they're going to bring that in, but that doesn't happen until I think the early 1900s because it was like the first big murder case in new york in the 1900s so i hope it goes long enough for us to cover that because he's just the architect of the big house the new money people live in right now so anyways i know we need to start talking though so watch the gilded age if you like those kinds of movies yeah absolutely okay i guess we should talk about this week's movie again it is ganjan hess it's on showtime um i watched it on the showtime add-on on my hulu app um i don't know if that's mm-hmm. how you watched it too okay that's how you watched it too i do it on my amazon prime showtime but yeah basically the same oh thing. nice nice so it did come out in 1973 interesting enough and i don't know if you uh Katie, I know you do a lot of research too. I thought this movie was a black exploitation film. It's technically a experimental film. And yes. so, and the black exploitation actually does come from the blood couple that we'll talk about in a bit. Yes. So the re edited version is considered black exploitation. But when you look up a list of memorable black exploitation films, this does not show up. I was going to say, I have seen a few black exploitation movies because, mm-hmm. like I said, I've seen Dolomite. Um, I have seen, uh, there's a movie called Boss that I've seen. Not going to say the rest of the title because it is very inappropriate for me to say. But actually, that movie made me cry. Um, I've also seen, oh, Disco Godfather, a bit of it, which is another Rudy Ray Moore movie. And there's one that Rift Tracks Rift called The Guy from Harlem. And the beginning of Gonjan Hess, I thought it was going in that direction because there's just a man driving in a car and there's a bunch of credits. That's how Guy from Harlem starts. And it's kind of just not, it, it's a, it's very obvious they're making their lines up in Guy from Harlem. And it's not very like sexually exploitative. Like there is stuff, but it's not overly sexual. It's like a spy movie kind of thing. It's more action-y. It's not a, it's obvious like they're making up their lines as they go on. This movie is not like that. Um, although a lot of it was improv uh, once you start after the credits end, like you start realizing that it's a much more put together movie and it's not, I wouldn't like, like you said, I, I don't know if I would lump it in exploitation, the version we saw, because there's, it's definitely yeah. higher 
art than that. And there's some very artistic things done in this movie that I'm like, I can tell if they had a bigger budget or better equipment that this would be a much... And that the, the original producer actually wanted them to open an art house theaters slowly and gain... Because it was like, this is an art house movie. This is not like a blockbuster. But like the production company was like, no, we need to have a big red carpet debut. And he's like, that's not what this movie is. This is an art house movie. And it was the 70s. So like people were into that stuff. So it was kind of like it took until there was a resurgence, I think, in the late 90s where people started watching it with a more artful view. And when you know that it's about addiction, it makes more sense. But yeah, that was that was like I was like, oh, interesting. It is really, really interesting. And I figured I would go a little bit before we touch on actors and plot. I thought I would talk a little bit about Bill Gunn, who wrote and directed the movie, too. Mm -hmm. So Bill was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He was raised by a songwriter slash poet father and an actress turned director mother. Um, everything that I've read led me to believe that he was the only child and that he never married. Um, he dropped out of high school and uh, joined the Navy, but of course returned to Philly and got really involved in theater. Um, so he wrote more than 29 plays during his lifetime. And his one-act drama, Johans, was turned into a television special in 1972. He did win an Emmy uh, for that television play, that adaptation. And in 1970, Ooh. he became the second black filmmaker ever to direct a major studio movie with his directorial debut, Stop. But Stop was unfortunately shelved because of two things. One, it was deemed mm -hmm. controversial. Um, it's about a, uh unhappy married couple who turns to swinging. Uh, things did not oh. go well for them. Yeah. Things did not go well for them when they returned. They turned to swinging, so it was controversial. And then they slapped the X rating on it, and it never got distributed because of was that. It, so I can, you got. Was it more sexual than this movie? Because I feel like this movie was pretty erotic, not exploitative. Mm -hmm. As uh, I think we both listened to the the commentary track with uh, mm -hmm. the uh, Marlene and who played Ganja. And um, several of the producers, the cameraman and the music director. And she was very specific. She was like, I never felt exploited. This was not exploitative. This, is an er this has erotic scenes. And she was in Stop, too. She was one of his actresses in Stop. Which I feel like this movie, there is sexual stuff in it. But it isn't, I wouldn't call it, like, pornographic to get an X rating. But it was the 70s. I guess they rated things differently back then, I guess. I, I think know. they did because um, American Cowboy, uh, or no, sorry, a Midnight, Midnight Cowboy, Cowboy. Midnight yeah. Cowboy was rated X. And, I mean, it has some, you know, sexy scenes in it, but not, I mean, I've seen worse by today's standards. So I do think oh, movies yeah. were um, maybe a little bit, they were rated a little bit harsher back in the day. Yeah. Um, and, unfortunately, I don't know how sexual it is because it's never been released but that being said, it has been seen, which has been nice because even though it's never been officially released, it has um, has screenings at museums and film societies, which makes makes me That's feel cool. better that even though we will never have a DVD of it, or maybe we will one day eventually, at right. least it's been seen. So that's right. the big thing. He did later direct a movie called Personal Problems. It was supposed to be an avant-garde soap opera, um, but that also wasn't picked up. So out Aww. of his three movies, two of them weren't picked up which is kind of depressing. 
Um, well, but he did I go feel on you. to do... It happens to the best of yeah. us. So later in life, and I'm, I'm almost done with this man. I found him I found him fascinating. Um, he is. So he, he um, directed and produced a number of television specials, including the mm-hmm. Alberta Hunter story, uh, The Life of Sojourner Truth. And he also oh. published two novels, okay? So the first novel was All the Rest Have Died, and the second novel was Rhinestone Sharecropping. So the interesting thing about Rhinestone Sharecropping was that it retells him adapting the Muhammad Ali story, The Greatest, only to be uncredited. <gasps> yes. So that's, that's literally what bullshit. the second novel. Yes. So he wrote The Greatest. Okay. And then the last nail in the coffin, the last Aww. nail in the coffin, not even trying to be funny, is so he passed away at the age of 54 the day before his play, The Forbidden City, opened. Oh my God. It's Jonathan Larson all over again. Only this was before Jonathan Larson. Yes. Oh and... I thought it was interesting. So in his obituary in the New York Times, he was quoted as saying, I liked every script I've ever written, and I've hated every movie I made from them. Or I made from them. Aww. So I was like, I was like, Bill, we're, we're going to talk about you, bud, and we're going to try to give you the credit you deserve. I think over the years, he has gotten the credit he's deserved people yeah. now. And you even heard that. I know you heard today when you were listening to the track mm-hmm. he sent me on the audio commentary his coworkers seemed to love him. They love him. Like, he was apparently the yeah. best guy to work with. He trusted his actors and his directors and his uh, composers, and they trusted him. And it sounded like they were all like, this was such a great experience filming this. Yeah. And because of Bill. That's sad. I thought he sounded like an amazing person. So I, I was like, we got to talk about Bill. And I'm really glad that I, I have some thoughts about ganja and hespa i'm really glad we did this movie so yeah and I, I didn't yeah. know i didn't know if you wanted to go into any of the backstory i know you've done some research too so i didn't know if there was anything specifically interesting you wanted to talk about not so much the backstory i think mm-hmm. i will i will say this movie was remade by spike lee about a decade ago it seemed and uh, it was his first movie to be kickstarter funded i will talk about that after we've spoiled the plot because okay. there's just a couple differences, but it is basically the same movie. It kind of ties back into Bill Gunn because I will say I don't like Spike Lee's remake of Old Boy. It's terrible, but I don't think he really had his heart in it because he is a good director when he has his heart in the projects he's doing. He obviously deeply respected and loved Bill Gunn. He even gave him a writing credit for oh. um, his remake, which is called Dust. D.A. Sweet Blood of Jesus, which has been in my recommendance forever, and I didn't know it was a Spike Lee movie, and I didn't know what it, the fuck it was about. I was like, is this some, like, religious movie? But no, it's... Well, it is and it isn't, because this movie has religious themes in it. But it's like Bill Gunn's vision of what I think he probably meant when he made Ganja and Hess, if he had had the resources that Spike Lee had. Because yeah. Spike Lee... Because he was a director, you know... Well, I guess Do the Right Thing was that in it's the 90s? debut. Was it the 80s 80s? 1989. Okay. So, like, yeah. only 15 years later, Spike Lee was breaking barriers. But, like, now, 20 years later, he's one of the most respected directors in Hollywood. And it's yeah. like, you know, I think he he wanted to make Bill Gunn's vision, like, actually viewable. So, I would say, though... Watch Gon Jin has first, 
before you watch it. And I think it's a it's a wonderful transformation into what Ganjin has can be the potential. Even I mean, you you can they did a lot with a three hundred thousand dollar budget. I think is what they said for Ganjin. Yeah, has. I, that's right. No, and then. I do think it's interesting. I kept saying the name to one of my coworkers and they kept asking me to repeat it. And I think it was because the name ganja is slang for marijuana, but it's high potency marijuana. And that makes yeah. sense because the character of ganja is a very strong personality. So. Yeah. And I think it's funny you said that because literally I asked my coworker who's in his 50s. I said, have you ever seen ganja in Hess? He goes, I know what ganja is. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so not that Kanja. Like, oh, so, yeah, so Although, I mean, you could definitely tell <laughs> she she does partake, but yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, I guess we should actually get into it. But that was the only like background yeah. I had was just I watched that, and watching Dolomite is my name gives you a really good frame of reference for the resources people had for low budget movies in the seventies, especially black filmmakers and all the sh- fucking shit they had to put up with. Too. yeah like we thought east bayou was bad yeah that's true and that reminds me because you did bring it up so some of the producers were like you know we don't really like this this isn't mainstream like we want it to be so they mm. did resell it and it was made into the movie katie was talking about blood couple which uh did you see how long blood couples running time is compared it's to like Gondry 73 76 minutes something like that yeah it's like if they cut like a full hour out yeah crazy yeah so completely different movie but apparently in the late 90s they recut everything to be the edition that is available now and the commentary was saying how they're so thankful that that's now the official edition and that people can't watch she's like i'm sure you can watch the edited down version but like it's not the one that is able to stream because now the new master is like master cut is that which they're thankful because they're like, we want Bill's vision to be realized, which is just fucking sweet. Yeah. It's just nice. Like, I like this movie so much more after like listening to the commentary track. Everyone's just very delightful on the commentary track. I, I only found it on YouTube, but I highly suggest uh, watching it in sync with watching the movie. Um, Cause I do think it's very interesting. And I think, like you said, there's some stuff about this movie that we can critique, but I think it is a historically important movie, mm-hmm. and you can see a lot of inspirations in movies now, and it obviously meant a lot to a lot of aspiring filmmakers, so I'm glad we did it, and I'm glad Me Bill too. Gunn gets more recognition every day. Yes, absolutely. So, and that future movie lovers will know his name, because it does deserve to be known, I believe. Yes. And with that being said, I guess we'll get ready to go into spoilers. Now, I talked to Katie beforehand about this, and I thought it was kind of funny. This movie actually opens with its uh, synopsis of its own plot. (laughs) And I was like, Katie, can I just use the synopsis that the own movie gives itself? And she was like, yeah, so why not? (laughs) Who cares? So without further ado, we are officially getting into spoiler alerts. Uh, Please... Please skip ahead if you do not want this film to be spoiled for you. But we, we're we here. So, again, we're talking about Ganja and Hess and Dr. Hess Green, dot, dot, dot. Doctor of Anthropology, <laughs> Doctor of Geology, dot, dot, dot. While studying the ancient black civilization of Murthia, dot, dot, dot. Was stabbed by a stranger three times, dot, dot, dot. One for God, the Father, 
one for the Son, and one for the Holy Ghost, stabbed with a dagger deceased from that ancient culture, whereupon he became addicted and could not die, nor could he be killed. Part one, the victim. Mm-hmm. So we we see there's a minister preaching, and his narration says how he loves being a minister. His name is Reverend Luther Williams, who is played, um, I have my notes everywhere, but he is played by Sam Whalen, who was also the composer of this film, and the brother of Nina Simone. I know. So. I was like, the fuck? He just casually mentions this in the commentary. Yeah. You know, my sister Nina Simone, and which I, I don't know how passionate you are about Nina Simone, everyone listening, or Britt. I am extremely passionate about Nina Simone. I own like a four-part special edition on Amazon streaming. That when you had to actually buy your music and there wasn't free streaming, I bought it. I fucking love her, and I listened to her the rest of the afternoon today because oh, I was yeah. like, I was like, oh, I just need to listen to Nina Simone sing the rest of the day. I love her. She is amazing. Such a strong one. I have to thank our friend Tyree. I know Tyree, you sometimes listen. Uh, because he had, I wish I knew how it would feel to be free playing on a playlist when we were getting ready to rehearse a show. He and I were, and I think it was one of his shows that we were in that he had written. And I heard this when I was like in college. I was like, who is this? And he was like, it's Nina Simone. And I looked up the song and then I like could not stop listening to her. And anyways, her brother is also a composer, which is really cool. Yeah, she's amazing. And you know what? I actually, my favorite song by her is Stars, if you're familiar with Stars. But it actually plays in an incredible moment in BoJack Horseman. Uh, So that's where, now that's on my Apple playlist. So, but Reverend Luther Williams does work as a chauffeur and stableman part-time. And he works for Dr. Hess Green. And Katie, I didn't know if you want to tell us who Dr. Hess Green is played by. I would love to. He is played by Dwayne Jones, who was a teacher at a lot of mm-hmm. theater schools, but is best known as Ben in Night of the Living Dead. That is a very interesting part, because in case you didn't know, George George M- Romero, right? Am I crazy? Mm-hmm. George, George, George Romero. Romero. He yep. cast Dwayne Jones. He was, like, the first, really, black actor to be the lead in a horror film and he didn't cast it wasn't written that way he didn't cast him for any other reason than he was just the best man for the part and it's obviously like like the precursor to all the zombie movies it's amazing you should totally watch night of the living dead if you haven't watched it it's very old and it's kind of silly but like Dwayne jones is very very impressive in that movie and it was cool to see him in another movie. Yes. And I will also say, for those of you who haven't seen Night of the Living Dead, I saw it when I was a child. It, I, I love it. It's it's phenomenal and it's historical. But it has a very nihilistic ending. So It's not happy. It's not happy. I will warn you all of that. But I so. do love the Barbara. They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're coming it's great. To you get should watch you. Yes, Ooh. it's it's a phenomenal film. It's a classic. Classic is the word I'm looking for. Which um, they did say he kind of got typecast because everyone recognized yeah. him as Ben. So he really didn't get to like spread his acting wings, which I think is why he took to like teaching for a long time. And I and I think he was a teacher, which obviously he's a very smart man. This movie is partially like they had a rough estimate of some of the like the speeches, but like a lot of it was improvised or very waxing poetic from 
Bill. It's obvious that he knows what he's talking about, and he's extremely believable as, like, a anthropologist. He just seems like... Yep, I can see him as an anthropologist. He seems like a very smart, very, like, cultured man, which is the first thing, like, you see, because he's, like, he's in a nice car, he's a chauffeur, and he's got, like, he's, like, all decked out, and he's got, like, a nice suit on, but he's not, like, ostentatious. He's, like, very, like, put-together man about time. He's, like, Bruce Wayne, but not Batman. Not Batman. And not quite as much of a playboy, it seems. But, yeah, No, definitely not. No, you're good. And I have a I have a theory about the Playboy thing too, so it's interesting you brought that up. Ooh. Um so Luther does say Green is an addict, not a criminal, and he's addicted to blood. So it's like da da da. We know Dr. Hess Green's addicted <laughs> to blood from the start of the film. So Dr. Yes. Green is introduced to his new assistant, George Mita. Meta, and mm-hmm. Meta, of course, is played by the director Bill Gunn. In a fearless performance. Well, one of the things I love about this movie is that the soundtrack is, like, banging. And there's literally yeah. a song about how, like, the Murphian age, there's addiction to blood among his people. So you think you're just, like, listening to some music, digging some cinematography as they're in the car driving. Uh-huh. But then, no, it's the song is actually describing shit that's going down in the movie. And then you're like, so, oh, oh, fuck. Okay. It's like, we're, we're talking about people being addicted to blood, but it's in song. Layers. Yeah. It's, in the it's, like a, it's like a parfait. Yeah. But um, we do see the Murphian dagger during this time. So we know there's mm-hmm. a dagger. And we're like, oh shit, from the beginning, we already know someone gets stabbed with the dagger three times. I will say that, okay, so the dagger in this movie is like a bone, which I'm like, if it's ancient, that makes a whole lot of sense. That's been sharpened. The one in the other movie is gigantic. It's gigantic and has these, like, bobbles filled with blood in it, and it's it's a little over the top. Also, they name a completely different tribe in the new movie, in the remake, oh. which I was... I don't know why, but I, it was a tribe that sounded familiar to me, and I can't remember what they said. It started with an A, but it was one that sounded familiar to me, or sounded like a real tribe in Africa. Maybe they were trying to make it more, quote-unquote, realistic, because yeah. I think they just made up this whole situation. For this one so spike lee was trying to give more of an actual like uh back a lore that seemed more like historically accurate i can dig it so they get to uh, they get to his house though which is like a beautiful estate and i think you had a note about the estate that you wanted to mention so the estate was actually uh it belongs to appleby farms and it had just been like sold by the i think they said the nuremberg family um that's what they said but i don't know if that's the actual family name because this was on the commentary and again it's like people speaking so i don't know about their memories but i know i'll say something i'm like i think it's this blah 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 but it was appleby farms in croton on houston new york and they were um it's this big mansion by the hud it's near the hudson and they basically just used the entire house for filming, which was cool, except that a group of Teamsters um, heard that they were filming a movie there and said, y'all have to let us on the crew, which is a thing that happens in New York especially, which the Teamsters are kind of like organized. I don't want to say organized crime, but they're like union-y people, but in a much more scary way because they basically threatened, in not so many words, to burn down the estate 
Um, they were like, wow, this is made out of a lot of wood. And then the white producer who had been approached by the Teamsters was like, hey, he he was just like, he was like, in the commentary, he's like, I knew that a lot of the Teamsters were super racist. So I just casually mentioned that, like, everybody was black who worked on the production. And they were like, oh, no, we'll just leave it alone then. So that's how they got the Teamsters to leave them alone, which I found both funny and terrifying and also really depressing that you're so racist that you give up a job. You're gross. Go home. That's awful. But at least they got, they were left alone. But it's a beautiful estate and they basically, that's kind of what you have to do with low budget movies. You just have to find a location that you can, like, if you've watched any low budget movies, like, on Riff Tracks or Mystery Science Theater 3000, especially from the 70s, it's like one location, film everything there. But it's a beautiful estate and it's got like this giant field behind it, which plays, Mm -hmm. they do a lot of stuff in the field. A lot of stuff. It's like a palatial mansion. And I think it is still standing today. So uh, Meta Meta hangs out with Hess and he's like very jovial. And he tells the story about like, how his director friend who was filming a picture in Holland and that Dutch cut, cut means cunt. And like, so he's yes. kind of like this little monologue. And honestly, Hess is not very humored by it. He just kind of has a straight face, like whatever. Um, but then they talk about the Murphians and how they had a want versus need for blood. And we hear mm-hmm. a woman sing for the first time as Hess is Sam and Sedagger. Because I was like, oh, we hear this like African singing. And we see this vision of like a priestess. And I did want to give a shout out to the priestess who is Mabel King, which I think is a cool name because it's Mabel yeah. and King. Mabel King, uh, who played Mabel Mama Thomas on What's Happening. And oh, hey. she's also in, yeah, right? And she's also in The Jerk, The Wiz, Scrooge. <gasps> and um, yeah, um, so he does hear the, and my, my actual subtitles on the TV did call African singing, is what they, it's like a da 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 da. And so Hess seemingly awakens from a dream that he's having where he's hearing that music and he finds Maida in a tree. In a very interesting camera frame because there's a noose and then Maida's legs are just dangling. So you can't see Maida's face, you just see his legs dangling. Yeah, it's so awkward. And he is very neurotic. Like, he yes. cusses at Hess. Um, he's obviously contemplating suicide. And uh, Hess is like, hey, and I don't know if you fought this, Katie, but Hess wasn't like, didn't seem overly concerned that a man was going to commit suicide. He was just like... Hey, you don't need to commit suicide because I'm the only colored person on the block and I don't really need a dead body yes, on my property. Which is interesting because so. Dwayne Jones was like referring to the area of New York that he lived in because like that was his mm-hmm. situation. And I was like, that's interesting because oh. apparently like in his neighborhood, it was like, I guess he was the only black man in his neighborhood. And so he was like, you know, if another black guy shows up dead racist people are gonna think that i had something to do with it which is really depressing because i would think yeah it was more likely that it was a racially motivated attack but maybe that's just me maybe i'm too depressed no i mean i think you're i think it's also a a time difference is that that's where our mind would go to nowadays but back in the day i guess they just assumed that it would be black on black crime which is very upsetting um but he does get to, he gets to get Maida back inside. And I love this monologue. So Maida has a monologue where he's like, he admitted he almost committed suicide before. And he's like, I had this idea that I was both the victim and the murderer. And it was a cat and mouse game. And the murderer let the victim go. 
So I was like, okay, so obviously Bill Gunn has these very deep thoughts um, going in his head, writing this dialogue. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Later that night, Maida attacks Hess, uh, stabbing him three times with a dagger. And I thought this was really, yes, the father's son, Holy Ghost. And afterwards, he lays in the bed crying, which I thought was very telling. He's so, like, which, okay, so in the commentary, they were, like, they were, like, asking each other, like, does anybody, other than the fact that Maida obviously has some mental health problems, they didn't say it that nicely, but that's what I'm going to say, why does he stab them? And they were all kind of like, yeah, we were all a little mystified about that. And, of course, Bill Gunn had already passed away when they were doing this commentary because it was in 1998. However, uh, on the IMDb, it says that the ghost of Mabel King's character has possessed him. Oh. I, I don't know if that's true, but that would make more sense why she's always around for the rest of the movie. And see, I, I don't like – okay, so I, I can believe it, but I don't like it as much because it seems more true to the character that he just maybe had a psychotic episode. Yeah. And and Hess was at the wrong place at the wrong time. May, it's yeah. just how I thought of it. Or maybe it's you can take the interpretation either way. Maybe that's why he didn't explain it to anybody. Well, he does – early in the morning, he writes a note. To the blackmailed children before bathing and brushing his teeth in the bathtub. Yeah. Which I'm like, okay, interesting. It's a lot of naked man in the tub. He is fearless. He does not care that everyone is seeing his dick. Um, Very. There's a lot of dicks in this movie, by the way. I I appreciate that. As a person who's used to seeing the woman, a female body, it was nice to see some male nude. That's, you know, that's a big difference between this movie and the remake is that. There's a lot more naked women. There's a lot more women being sexualized and being nude in the Spike Lee version as opposed to this one where, I mean, yes, there are women that are topless and naked, but it's mostly a bunch of men running around with their pants off. And, and, yeah. and like, it doesn't seem weird. I mean, it is weird, but it's, like, because it's a weird artsy-fartsy movie. But, like, he's taking a bath, so of course he'd be naked. But also, I, I guess Bill yeah. Gunn was just a very brave and vulnerable performer because I don't know if I would feel comfortable just being completely butt naked having, like, such an emotional breakdown scene. But Hess, Hess wakes up and he examines the places where he's been stabbed. And while he's doing that, Maida shoots himself. Um, and when Hess finds the body, he drinks the blood. And as he does so, we see visions of a painting of Jesus and a cross floating in a bathtub, which led me to believe that, okay, this is definitely, like, sacrilegious, what Hess is doing. This is the first. Yes, I agree. I just, for some reason, there's a bunch of trivia all around this point. First being, they originally cut that poetry scene where... Mita's like ruminating on everything and writing all those poems. The shortcut cut that out, but the original, the new cut has it. Um, but did you know that the blood was made out of tomato juice, which Ooh, is yeah. why it looks so bright red? But Dwayne Jones had such a hard time like drinking it because it did seem like it was real blood that he actually got violently ill. However, Marlene, what is Marlene's last name? Marlene Clark. I found it. Marlene Clark uh, did not have a problem. She was like, I don't have a problem with it. But apparently Dwayne Jones, like, was not okay with it, but did it anyways. That scene, specifically. I don't think any of the other scenes really bothered him. It was just that scene for some reason. But it looks pretty because it is bright, bright red. 
It's very visually yeah, stunning. Yeah, it is super bright. Yeah. And this was actually one of my favorite parts of the movie is after he does this, he goes to the field to start praying before screaming. Mm. Like this like primal scream. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was like such a brutal but realistic reaction to what must be what he must be feeling at yes. this point in the story. It's definitely better than so, the Twilight vampires. Absolutely. And it's very interesting because yeah, they're not like normal vampires, other than the thirst for blood. And I love being it. immortal, they can go in the sun. This is like, like yeah, the most really cool, the most untraditional yet most believable version of a vampire because like they're daywalkers. They can't okay in his version they can eat food, but they don't like to eat real like human food. They prefer blood, but they can eat food. Um, but the rules aren't super clear because then the in the remake they can't eat regular food and they make a big deal about it. But in this movie, like he eats a st like food and then he eats like he's drinking regular stuff. But it, it's interesting and like yeah, they kind of can function in society. I'm like I could see vampires being real if this is what they were like because they look like a regular person. They're just drinking blood all the time. Exactly. They have like an unnatural thirst for it. Yes. Um, which brings us into part two, survival. And so Hess goes, uh, he's resourceful. He goes and still he steals blood from a doctor's office by creating a small explosion. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in the next scene, yeah, it's just like creates an explosion. Just you casual. Know, so. It's like my neighbors on New Year's Eve. And it's like really. With their firecrackers. It's really great, like upbeat music too that they're playing during the sequence. It's like, yeah, yeah. There's a fire! Oh, no, I really liked it. Um, Yeah, it's like, whoa, but I'm still in blood. Next scene, we do see a garden party, and we see Hess has a son named Enrico. And they speak um, in French to each other. They're very educated. Yes. Like, educated, handsome, established. Yes. which did you know about the guests as the extras in the garden party? It's interesting, like, apparently the little boy who was the actor just could speak fluent French. And so they're just conversing yeah. in French. I was like, oh, my God, these people are so fucking classy. <laughs> it's like, it's just so high they society. Are. Just like, oh, we oui, oui. Well, huh. And I'm just like, okay. And I think they mentioned the commentary here, too. They're like, this was a little shocking for some people. But black, there was black families that lived like this for years yeah. that were educated that, you know. And I think that's, like, really sad to think about that people are like, wait, what? But they are, they're educated, they're beautiful, they're wealthy, um, and I don't know if you felt this way, but seeing Hess's son, I I thought Hess was a widower. Like, I really yeah, thought, I like, that. Yeah, I was confused. That... At first, I was like, is it his mm -hmm. son? Because you don't see the son at all for the rest of the movie. So I was kind of like, I guess he yeah. goes to boarding school. Or is it his nephew or his ward or something? But I don't yeah. know. Um, or he's widowed. I think, I, I personally, and I, I think there's a few things to back it up. I think he's a widower for sure. Uh, he, he leaves the party to go drink some blood. And so he ends up going to a bar where he picks up a prostitute and her pimp is watching nearby. And so they go back to like her little apartment. And as they are seemingly starting to get intimate, he hears the singing before the pimp stabs Hess. And then she shoots Hess. And it's like, oh shit, he's been stabbed and shot and he's, He's alive, yeah. so he's definitely immortal at this point. Yep. And uh, he, he slits the pimp's throat, which is like a very violent scene that I wasn't expecting to happen because no. he slits his throat and this bright red blood just floats yeah. out everywhere. Um, and he drinks the bud from the both of them before vomiting. 
so obviously at this point, it definitely feels like it's something he doesn't want to do, but he does have to do it for survival. Yeah. Which we get to part three, which is letting go. And we are introduced to our secondary protagonist, which Katie, I don't know if you want to take it away a little bit. Sure. So it's um, just Marlene Clark, yeah. as we... Uh, Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier she's again absolutely fearless she was in quite a few things um including a movie called switchblade sisters some episodes of sanford and son which is a very popular show and in enter the dragon with bruce lee which i thought was really cool she's fucking gorgeous too yeah her character is just always dressed impeccably and they do this really cool thing where they introduce her where you just see like her hands like her very manicured, beautiful hands and her mouth talking into the phone when she calls Hess when they have their first conversation. And they do a very slow reveal of her. And she's like absolutely gorgeous and so put together. I, I really like her performance. She just really seems to take charge of every situation she's in. Yeah, and I actually, I thought it was interesting. I came across this um, interview with her, and it was called The Temple of Shock, Schlock Blog. And this was a 2000 interview. And they're, they mentioned, they're like, we don't, you know, you don't do a lot of interviews. And she's like, I didn't get a chance to do many interviews. Most of the movies I started didn't come out when they were supposed to or never came out at all. And if the movies aren't going to be released and the studios aren't going to do anything to promote them, so mm. you miss out on all that publicity that can lead to other jobs. So I thought that, like, summed her career up. And it was so sad because she is an absolutely gorgeous woman. And she's a really good uh, actress. She really, really good actress was just, like you said, fearless, so in sync with her character. Mm-hmm. She wasn't scared to do anything in this movie because she's like, this is justified by my character, these choices. It, it, it just bothers me. Um, so, yeah, me. I really enjoyed it. It's like Bill Gunn. It's like... I feel mm-hmm. like if she was born a few decades later, she might have really had such an amazing career. And it just makes yeah. me mad that in the 70s, race was such an issue. I mean, I know it was only 10 years after yeah. the civil rights movement, but still, I'm just like, is it really like, was it really that hard? And I just remember like, you know, like my parents like telling me how like, yeah, it was, I mean, it, you know, them coming from families who weren't racist, but the fact that, like, even in the 70s, integration was taboo for some people. And it just makes me so yeah. sad. And Hollywood, of course, is it always is 20 so steps sad. behind everyone else, so. That is very true. And it's, uh, it's very depressing because she does shine in this movie. And I love it. She, Like you mentioned, she's, she's very feisty. And she's like, I just got in town from Amsterdam. I can't afford a decent hotel. I know my husband's there. I called the museum. And he's like, I'll send, you know, Hess is kind of taken back. He's like, I'll send a driver to get you. And she's like, he can't miss me. The driver can't miss me because I'm valuable. valuable. <laughs> and I, I love it. That's like what my, that's one of my favorite quotes in this movie. The driver can't miss me because I'm valuable. So <laughs> she, and she delivers it so perfectly. She's so confident. Mm-hmm. And she looks like such a bitch. She is a bitch. Like, that's the thing. It's like, Ganja's not like a yeah. nice person. She's very controlling. Mm-hmm. But, like, you just love watching her on screen because she is such a commanding performance. And they have such a great chemistry together. Mm -hmm. So she gets out of her car. She gets out of the car and she sees Hess. And she's like, tell your boss I'm here. And she walks by him. He's like, I'm Dr. Green. And you can tell, like, where she's, like, struggling (laughs) because, you know... She doesn't want to take back what she says. That's not the type of woman she is. But at the same time, she's like, oh, I just fucked up a little bit by making mm-hmm. this assumption. She's like, um, so. mm, mm. okay. Well, anyways, moving yeah. on. <laughs> this 
so she's just yeah. like, I don't, we're not going to acknowledge that I fucked up. Because um, I don't do oh, that. Yeah. I'm ganja. I'm ganja. And so it's not very long before she she's in Hesse's house. She's telling him stories about her friend trying to smuggle weed in his ass. Mm-hmm. And uh, she starts to try to seduce him. And so he's, I think he, he, she's so different than him. He's just like completely enchanted by her. Um, and as he kisses her, he hears that African singing. And he goes, hides in the attic and drinks yeah. some blood. <laughs> just, just, you know. <laughs> That's where I keep it. And, um, yeah, and but she finds him, and they have some pretty sensual sex. I know. It's very, like, artistically, like, it's, like, everything is, like, it's, like, a black room and a white uh, mattress. And, it's, and yeah. then just them. And it's it's very, I would say, erotic, but not exploitative. It's very art house. It's, like, yes. how, like, it's, it's it reminds me a lot of... Portrait of a Lady on Fire, where everything was very sensual. It's very yeah. sensual. But also, like, it was the 70s, so there was some taboo shit that was going on. It's not like, it's not like um, Stranger Brother Lake, though, where people are, like, having hardcore sex. But it's, yeah, it is. It's nothing sensual. like that. It's enough. It is sensual. And everyone's um, very beautiful. And then, but everyone's also, like. They are very beautiful real because it's the 70s and at one point one of the commentators joked while she was run there's a scene where she's running later and he's like no silicone there and she just started laughing she's like nope i never had silicone i was like that's funny everyone looks that's what i like the 70s because like when you do see like tawdry movies from the 70s like people have like real boobs and like real bodies because they didn't have airbrushing back then and you're just like oh Here's just, like, a real person. This is what people really look like. Yeah. That's refreshing. Hopefully we get back to that. It is. I hope so, because it is very refreshing. I was even, I will say this very quickly. We were watching a movie in the 90s. It was a 90s movie. And I told Taylor, I said, you can tell this is the 90s because everyone's teeth are not perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, they're pretty, but they're not perfect. Yeah. And I appreciate that as someone who doesn't have perfect teeth. Me so, too. Um, but it's like, yes. Uh, so we do, like, Ganja is kind of, you know, she's warming her way in a little bit. And she's kind of a bitch to Archie, who's the butler. Yes. And, of course, Archie is played by... Uh, Leonard Jackson, who is a very accomplished actor. Uh, he was in The Color Purple, Bosquiat, uh, Car Wash. He apparently was part of my childhood because he was both on Shining Time Station, which is where Thomas the Tank Engine comes from, for the uninitiated, and Sesame Street. Aww. I was like, oh my god. Like, when we were kids, too. Like, the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. I was like, oh my god. You were part of my childhood. And he speaks in a British accent the whole time, and he's very like, um, sir, madam, ah, like, classic butler. But yes. she just fucking takes over his shit. And she's just, yeah. there's, like, one part where, like, he, like, drops a peach in front of her and, like, she just keeps going. Anyways, their their relationship is interesting, but Ganja's obviously taking over the entire estate and she does not fucking care. Yeah, she's, like, head bitch in charge. And so, and this is the scene that makes me think that maybe Hess is a widower. So, Lufer brings the car by, Reverend Lufer does, and he's getting in the car, Hess is getting in the car, and Ganja offers to cook for him anything he wants, and she's like, do you believe in marriage? Or, like, did I hear you say you didn't believe in marriage? He goes, no, I do. And I was like, oh, like, I don't know. It just made me feel like he lost a spouse. Yeah. And maybe they're both kind of grieving over their spouses a, a way, and that's why... 
they formed this deep connection. I don't know. Although she seems to not like her spouse very much. She's like, I don't like him. I'm okay if he's dead. I wonder I wonder if like she loved him at one time, but maybe he he had too many episodes for her and maybe she backed off because that's the type of person she seems like she does. Or maybe he abandoned her too. Yeah. You know. Which is a possibility. I didn't know if, if you wanted to take over a little bit with this next scene and what happens. Basically, he approaches a young mother with a baby, obviously, and kills her, obviously. Uh, and they've got her her dead body positioned very, like, purposefully as, like, almost a pieta Virgin Mary kind of thing. And she's got a, a poster of the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus above her bed. And it's very, like, sad. And then, but you're also juxtapositioned with Ganja coming home with Archie and bossing him around. She makes him take all of the bags out and open the car door for her, for him. And I think, does she slam the door in his face? Yeah, she lets the door slam in his face as he has the groceries, yep. Yeah, what a bitch move. But then, like, she's looking for this, she forgot to buy wine, so she's like, oh no! And he's like, uh, yeah, uh, there's a wine cellar in the basement, but I don't go there without... Um, you know, Dr. Uh, Hess, and then, or Dr. Green, she's like, nonsense, I'm just gonna go, just tell me where it is. And so she goes into this basement, and she's like, there's all these, like, masks, because he's a, he's an anthropologist, so he collects, like, like, those, like, tribal masks that you always see when there's a stereotypical anthropologist, like, hi, I'm an anthropologist, I just have masks all over my wall. Um, but there's a bunch of, like, masks, yes. and she it spooks her, and she's like, ah, it's, it's just masks. And then she's, like, looking through the wine cellar, and she opens up a fridge, and there's her dead husband. And it really freaks her the fuck out. But then when he comes home, she acts like everything's normal. She just doesn't want to eat. And she's like, yeah, um, Archie had to cook for me. And I can't remember, because, again, I watched the remake, so I can't remember. In the remake, they make a big deal about it, and they have a huge fight. But I feel like in the... In Ganja and Hess, they just kind of, ca- like, casually mention it? But it's not, like... It's hilarious. So, she, yeah, she mentions in front of Archie. She In front of Archie, yeah. she's like, I know you killed my husband yes. because his body's in the freezer. And Archie even comes over and is like... And Hess is like, we're obviously not hungry. Can you take our plates away, Archie? And Archie does. And so she goes in the room, but then she goes into this really beautiful monologue about how she was a great snowball champion snowball fight champion and she came home late one day and her mom accused her of being a slut even though all she was doing was playing with snowballs with some kids and so they have that great monologue Mm -hmm. and then they start playing around like horsing around and then they get married yeah they just get married randomly and uh, (laughs) it intercuts with them getting married with their friends from the party except Weirdly, not his kid. His kid doesn't come to the wedding. Yeah, exactly. Enrico's not there, though. And then, like, them burying her husband's dead body. You know, that's how they spent their honeymoon, apparently. This is interesting because in the party scene and in this scene, there are a few people that are, like, background actors. But they were um, just friends of the producer and directors. Like, just friends. But these friends included uh, society, like, real-life society members, such as... Mr. and Mrs. Ulrich St. Clair Haynes Jr., Rick Haynes, 
was the ambassador to Algeria for several years. And that's just him and his wife just hanging out. And then the other couple there is author Bill Gaddis and his wife, William Bill Gaddis, and his wife, which he won a bunch of reading of, of writing awards. They're just, like, hanging out. And then... The, I don't know if you noticed this. I noticed this the second time I watched it. But the the uh, priestess lady, played by um, Mabel, by, Mabel, played by Mabel, Mabel King, King. Yeah. is just hanging out, like, out in the field while they're getting married. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but like, no one sees her. I'm like, is it, is it real or is she not real? But she's oh, just chilling, like, in her, like, festive outfit. So I guess she's still possessing them? Or I don't know. Um, but then they have a lovely yeah. um, wedding night. Not they lay in funny. bed. He's like, you know, he's like, you know, I want you to live forever, which seems like a sweet thing to it tell does your wife, seem right? Like a sweet thing. And it seems like a sweet thing. And he kisses her, and you hear the African singing. And you're like, oh fuck, there's that Mabel's scene. hanging out in the background, um, just chilling. No, she's not yeah. not in the scene, nah, but nah, it would have nah, been funny. No, no, no. What if she was like sitting and, uh, in a chair in the corner of their bedroom while they're just getting it on? She's like, when are you gonna stab her? I'm waiting for you to stab right? her. I love when people get stabbed in the bedroom. If this movie, if this movie's due for another remake, that's what's happening in the other other remake of this movie. Fortunately, that does that not Mabel happen in the Spike Lee version, at least not that I noticed, sadly. Not that you noticed. Dang it. He does. So it, it kind of is like a dream sequence where they're making love. And then the next scene is literally he's covered in blood looking down her dead body that's covered in blood. And so you realize he probably killed her in the middle of sex and yeah. like he got the thirst um and so yeah which speaking of thirst this actually reminded me a little bit of the movie thirst too yeah like, oh am i seeing some parallels yeah thirst do you here? think park chang wook saw this i wonder if he was inspired I by feel it like he would watch I really this movie do. i feel like he'd be like yeah he does kinky vampire movie hell yeah i want to watch this because that's just who i, I think he is yeah, but I think this even more kinky. But but also very artsy fartsy because he's very art housey. Yeah, but isn't it weird? Because then but, like they go back out in a field and he stabs her again. And there's a really cool yeah, like and that's where cinematography sequence where like the camera's spinning like she's spinning and then falls on the ground like her body would fall on the ground. And I was confused. Yeah, and I thought that may have been like a a dream sequence or like on the plane of reality because right before that, and I made a note of that she's brushing her hair in the mirror and she also seems to hear the singing. Mm-hmm. And I think the singing takes over when they're thirsty for mm. the blood. And she's like, she tells him, she's like, I had a dream that you stabbed me. So I felt like maybe this was like in her head. Maybe. And so the 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 scene of her brushing her hair is reality. And then she's in her head thinking about like it, the dream, what's really a dream in her head. I don't know. This is getting really fucking confusing. I'm sorry. It is. It's what a confusing. What we think is her, her dream in her head is actually a dream. And then she was thinking what really happened was the dream. So it's like the realities are flipped is yeah. what I thought was happening. Maybe you're just not so, supposed to know. Yeah. And that's possible like, too. Like why Maybe did Mita stab Hess? Oh. Mm-hmm. Was he possessed? Yeah. Or is is it just he had a psychotic break? I don't know. But also why yeah. is Mabel King just hanging out in the backdrop of every scene? I don't know. I don't know. You don't know. Um, but you could play a good Where's Waldo game of that now that you know when you watch it. I like it. Yeah, it's really cool. That's a that's a I did not notice that, but I will look out for it. Next I did time. not notice it until I the second like- time and then she's just she's like between them. 
Like, she's not, but she's, like, way, way, like, out in the field behind the pool that they're getting married at. And it's just like, what is that? What is she doing? (laughs) Okay. That is hilarious. I did, like, did you notice, so, like, Hess comes up and, like, I didn't even notice there was a badass house elevator, but he just comes up in his little house elevator. And he's like, you gotta drink the blood. And I feel so bad for Ganja because he gives her this blood to drink. And you can tell it's devastating to her. Mm -hmm. Like, she's crying while she's drinking it. And so, he brings a young man as a dinner guest over. Who was a teacher. He was a teacher and he didn't let them use his real name. Because he was so scared that he was going to get fired from his job. But they have this erotic sequence with him and Ganja. And Ganja, like, puts a toe ring on his toe? Which apparently is very sensual. But they all threw glitter on them. Which, is this where Twilight got sparkly vampires? Maybe. I was wondering. Maybe. But they just threw glitter on them to make it pretty. (laughs) According to the camera guy. um, Or the director of photography. And I was like, alright. And they're all like, whose idea was the glitter? And they're like, it was Bill's. I just imagine Bill's just like, hey guys, I bought glitter. Just start making out. I'm just yeah. going to throw glitter all over you. Because um, he was. they did say he was very good about having a closed set and have as few people as possible when they like they were nudity scenes so people could feel more comfortable. But apparently yeah. they had to work with the, the man in the scene for like six days to make him feel comfortable. Oh, Which, what did that entail? Oh. They didn't go into details, but... Anyways. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and in the Spike Lee movie, like, hmm. this is where I feel like he was being a little... I feel like Spike Lee got a little exploitative because instead of a male lover, it's a female ex of Hess's that they're still friends. And there's a very, very erotic scene between the two women. Like, like it, mm. it goes on for a while. Like, this woman has lines, yeah. she's like a real person, which makes you feel sadder about her dying, because, like, she, like, used to date Dr. Green, and then they kind of, like, I guess they didn't get married, and so they broke up and they married other people, and they still remained friends for years, but then she and Ganja in the Spike Lee movie, like, have this, like, they go to the bathroom to smoke pot, and then, like... They just get it on on the bathroom floor. And it's very, like, it's very, very erotic. But it's also, like, I don't know. It's a little, it's not crazy exploitative. But because this movie also had a pretty erotic scene. But they don't leave a ton up to the imagination of the Spike Lee one. And I was curious why he changed it from a man to a woman. Like, I like the actress. But I was, like, I wonder why he made that choice. Or if he just felt that that was more provocative in the mid-2000s. I don't really know why he chose that. Um, But that was the the biggest change, was they do give her more of a character. Which makes the ending make more sense, actually. Yeah. But anyways, but that's just... The the main... That's probably the biggest difference in that. Um, yeah. yeah. And there's one other thing, but I'll talk about that when we get to the end. No, that's really interesting. I have some questions, too. I wonder if he was also, like, was he trying to be exploitive, or was it that maybe he was trying to be more representative of maybe Ganja's maybe. nature? Because I, can, I, I think it could be... I think it could be a continuity that Ganja is bisexual. She does seem like someone who'd be very open mm-hmm. to the idea of it. I don't... That's just... What I would see that character. She's, so I don't know. Maybe he got a different. You know who she her. reminds me of? So 
Samantha Who? Jones. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Because she's powerful. Absolutely. And she's sure of herself, and she is sexually confident. So she's like Samantha Jones in the 70s. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I thought it was sad because, once again, I I think God... So this is very interesting. And I know I, we won't be able to get into a lot of discussion, like a longer discussion about it. But I think how upset Ganja is at the apparent death of this young yeah. man is a very interesting twist from her final decision at the end of the movie, which I know we'll get mm-hmm. to in just a minute. Because she's crying. She's so upset. And then as they leave his body in a field, she realizes he's alive. And Hess literally drags her away which, from him Which dying. changes all of the... The not the pimp death, but mm-hmm. the death of the mother changes it completely because people keep so he's he probably didn't actually kill her. She probably is still alive, yeah. just a vampire, which is sad in the Spike Lee version because he runs into the young mother later and I think she's accidentally killed her own baby. I didn't watch Aww. I didn't really want to watch it, but she just is like crying, is like, I didn't mean to do it, I'm so sorry. But she's like holding her dead baby Aww. in the park. Oh. It was kind of unnecessary, Spike Lee, but, oh. like, at least you know that he didn't actually kill her. So, okay, the good thing is, like, they don't necessarily, like, kill people when they feed off of them. Yeah. They turn them into vampires, but then they just set them loose, which is terrifying. But then Mita, well, Mita killed himself. Never mind. And, it's, and see, I thought maybe that Hess is a killer compared to maybe Ganja isn't or doesn't really know how to fully kill when she feeds. Maybe. That's, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, we're not for sure. Once again, Bill uh, Bill isn't alive to really tell us his ideas that he had. But, and I know you like this scene, Katie. I love this scene. So, Hess starts to have a change of heart and he goes yes. to church. And I love this. Uh, there's a really great, like, you got to learn let to it go. let it go. You got to learn and, to let it go. You've got to learn. I love and, it. Oh, and, and it's the same theme music that's been right repeating now. throughout the whole movie. Oh yeah, you're right. It da, 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 I didn't get that da, until yeah, the very the second time I watched. I was like, it's the same song, and they use that theme music in the Sweet Blood of Jesus too. Like they use it as a romantic really theme. Like they it. slow it down, and I'm like, it's the same fucking music. It's great, but it's a it's a Pentecostal it. church, and it was a real functioning church. The uh, Nina Simone's brother actually. Yeah. Their family has a lot of pastors in it, apparently. And so he plays the pastor in it because he's already said, I'm a chauffeur and a pastor, a man of many hats, apparently. It's just it's like, I just do everything, apparently. But he he is, like, uh, preaching, and they've got this great choir going, and they literally just kind of shot it documentary style because it was basically the real congregation of this church. And um, they're singing this song. And I do love that it's like, you've got to learn to let it go. Because I think this is part four, letting go. Or well, part three was letting go. Part three was letting go. But part three is the longest chapter. Yeah. So, yeah. And so he, they, they're preaching. It's not really so much what they're saying as the fact that uh, Hess is utterly moved by it. And he goes. And, okay, here's the thing. I'm still pretty religious. But, like, I'm Catholic. We don't go up for altar calls. But my dad grew up Church of God, and they did do altar calls. They are very Pentecostal. And so, like, this is very much like what my dad's church was growing up, where you do do, like, altar calls, where you go up to the altar and confess and stuff. So basically, 
apparently while they were filming this, Dwayne Jones really did like have a religious moment and start speaking in tongues and somebody else in the congregation did too. But there's a line about the shadow of the cross, which again Mm -hmm. is a really weird way to kill a vampire, but and not traditional, but obviously because it is like a symbol or a metaphor for addiction. Like some people, the only way they can find salvation from addiction is through God. And they kind of have to let that part of themselves die, which I think is what he's trying to say. But also is it a tragic ending for someone who has an addiction who tries to let go and can't, and so they finally give up? Like, I don't know what exactly Bill Gunn was trying to say, but I think you could take yeah. it either way. I don't know. How did you feel about it? That's a, I, It's a really good idea. I, I personally thought that he was tired of the lifestyle and knew he was immortal and knew this wasn't something he wanted to do for, like... <laughs> <laughs> forever essentially which okay and I think he he was I, only a vampire yeah. for like two years which if that yeah if i that, was like yeah i feel like this makes more sense when you've been like alive for 200 years or a couple thousand you're just like i am so exhausted dude yeah. come on at least make it to your 80s it's almost you know what it's like and this is really stupid 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 uh it's kind of like lady Macbeth and Macbeth. yeah is that there's almost like a character reversal yeah. where it's like initially he doesn't feel bad but then he feels so bad he can't go on living yeah. with the guilt it's what it felt like and yeah which is interesting so he okay apparently this this is also the last scene was the last scene they filmed this like he yeah. rigs up a a wooden cross, which, okay, there's a light switch behind them. I thought it was a price tag on the cross. And I was like, did no one take that price tag off? And then I was like, oh, it's the little light switch, like the dangly kind. Um, but he hangs. Yeah. So he, he, he positions his chair in front of a cross and there's a big light behind him. So apparently the shadow of the cross over a vampire's heart will slowly kill them, which I've never heard that before. Yeah. This is all Bill Gunn. It's, yeah. I mean, and maybe it's just, maybe Bill Gunn was very religious and, like, he just liked that message. That's fine. It yeah. wasn't a super violent way yeah. to kill a vampire, but, like, it works. It does kind of get with the crucifix lore. Yeah, and he does, like, it's sad because he does beg Ganja to come with mm-hmm. him. And she doesn't. But she so. does hold him in her arms as he dies. But then yeah. she kind of takes a turn. She uh, she calls the ambulance and they pick up his body. And and then... Did you want to talk about this very last thing? <laughs> okay. So, so apparently... Yeah. Okay. And in the in the Spike Lee movie, they acknowledge this. But apparently at some point, Ganji, Ganja kills Archie. Because yeah. in some scenes, for this next scene, you can kind of see his dead body. And in other edits, you can't. So she's looking out the window at you know her life and she's like oh i have all this property now basically and i get to be a vampire forever she's embracing it and okay i wasn't sure what to think about this ending is it revenge or is it a lover's return i'm not 100 percent sure in the other movie it's much clearer yeah but basically the lover that she killed her first kill who's completely butt naked gets out of the ocean the water i guess the hudson the river or wherever and he just starts, he climbs a wall and just starts sprinting towards the house. 
And he's completely naked, and his penis is just swinging. And I was like, that must hurt. Also, yeah. Ganja does a run like that right after she's transformed, and, like, her boobs are swinging around. I was like, that hurts. I have done that before. It hurts to run without a bra on. But, yeah, I feel like that man was very brave to run. And then it just kind of ends. Yeah. So I'm not sure if he's going to yeah. kill her in revenge of killing him or if he's, like, returning to Ganja and she's just going to have a lot of sensual sex with him. I'm not really sure. The only, and I agree because the the way his face is positioned, it almost looks like he has a determined mm-hmm. face. But then the last scene is her looking at the camera and it's almost like her expression is one of complete confidence. So... I don't think she's afraid of him. So e- even if he is coming for her, she's like, I got, I got this. this. I'm not Which, scared. In this, in yeah. the sweet blood of Jesus, the victim, she like rises out of the, she's like, they're on a beach because they're like beachside. And um, her eyes are completely white, whited over because I guess she's been like starving and she looks much more like vampiric. Because she hasn't been eating because mm-hmm. they buried her. And, like, they kind of, like, stand on the beach together as equals. Like, I was like, were you going to kill Dr. Green the whole time? Or is it just like, oh, I guess this is fine. Also, they have her wear a fabulous cape and walk out to the beach, which looks really cool. I was like, oh, she's embracing oh, nice. her lady vampire. I do have to mention the casting is pretty cool in this The Sweet Blood of Jesus. Stephen Tyrone Williams. As has Zara Abrahams, who is a British actress who's done a lot of British television, including, I think, EastEnders, was, like, her most recent one that she's currently on. Like, she's, this was not that old of a movie. Um, as Ganja. And then, guess who plays the butler? It's Rami Malek. Malek! And this was 2015, yeah. the year before Mr. Robot started. So, bef- And he was also a victim in Old Boy. He got hammered to death. In the old boy remake. So, oh, yeah. and Spike Lee does that a lot. He brings a lot of actors back. But Rami Malek has, like, a British accent the whole time. And is, like, obviously just enjoying the shit out of this crazy movie. And, like, when they get married, he's the only one at the wedding. And he's, like, awkwardly clapping because he's super jealous. But also, like, like happy for his boss. So, it's great. Anyways. Oh, and there's no bathtub scene. He just kind of dies off. Mita dies off oh. screen. The other thing with The Sweet Blood of Jesus, which was cool, which I should have mentioned earlier, but you know the pimp scene where he gets attacked? Instead of that happening, he finds yeah. out his first victim is HIV positive in the middle of drinking her blood and makes himself throw up all of the blood and then has to go into the city, go to a free clinic to get tested because he's he thinks he might have HIV. And he doesn't, but like... That, and I was like, ooh, I like that change. Because obviously that wasn't a thing in the 70s. It hadn't hit, AIDS hadn't hit yet. But the fact that, like, when you are an addict, especially to something like heroin with needles, that you could possibly get HIV. That's how a lot of people got HIV um, in the 80s and 90s. So, like, that is a very real fear, like, when you are living an addict's lifestyle, that that is something that could happen. Whether it's sexual addiction or drug addiction um so i thought that was a nice change yeah um but basically that movie is basically ganja and hess if they had a budget and better equipment 
Um, and if it was several years in the future, which I, but I still think you should see Ganjin Hess first because I think it's so unique and so interesting that I think you'll only have a better experience watching The Sweet Blood of Jesus after watching Ganjin Hess. I don't know if I would have liked it if I'd only seen the Spike Lee movie. Um, but the music's really similar too. It's yeah. weird. Like he obviously just really respected Bill Gunn and his vision. Like that's how it seems. What? Uh, what? Did you have any like? What? What were the bad things? The not so great things about this movie? I know you said you had a few. I have a I have a little list <laughs> that I'm gonna read as my like final as my final thought my final thoughts <laughs> on the movie. But what I will say as my basic cons was that this is not directed towards Bill. It's just in general. I'm not a very big fan of experimental films. Mm. Um, I'm not very big fan of... Uh, Climax is a perfect example. I know you love <laughs> Climax. And it's not a bad movie. It's just more of a disoriented movie. It's a movie that made me uncomfortable. And that's what this movie kind of did. Is that it kind of... It was so disorienting mm-hmm. and so jarring. That I, I didn't feel completely comfortable watching it and it's not even by today's standards it's not really that graphic or that vulgar it's really not it's just the way it was filmed and edited i would say god bless bill gunn um you can tell the man loves his writing Mm -hmm. and i think that i wish that maybe someone had reeled him in a little bit more oh apparently they did because apparently there was was more this is him being reeled in because apparently he would overwrite and they would have to tell him like you have to stop because the movie's going to be four hours long and we can't sell that i feel like but i feel like too if this was his one shot at one of his movies getting actually released maybe he just put everything into this movie i don't know if he he was like i gotta put everything in it because this may be my only shot yeah and that's that's possible i i it's just like I said, I it wasn't bad. It was just more, I don't think it's personally, the type of film is not my favorite type yeah. of film. But that's not, that's not against him as a creator. I think that you have to have all kinds of different movies to make the world go round. So what may be someone's cup of tea is definitely someone else's shot of whiskey, as they yeah. like to say. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what about you? What did you not really careful i mean it is pretty experimental i will say it did the first time i watched it i started really late on a friday night and then i like started falling asleep so i kind of watched it the rest of it the next morning and i will say it gets a little weird at times where i kind of was tuning out but the second time i watched it the commentary i was much more invested in it so i feel like Mm -hmm. there's some work to be done but i feel like watching the remake like, actually, the work was done. So, like, I, but I could also see there was potential in this movie. But it is kind of like, yeah. not only is it experimental, but the technology was not really there. And so, like, for instance, apparently they used, apparently they used a Super 16 to shoot this, but they had to blow it up to 32 millimeter to show it. So that's why everything's super grainy. So, like, there's some, like, yeah, it doesn't look fantastic, but there's, like, good ideas in there, which is why I'm, like, ooh, like, I like it. But, yeah, it's kind of, if you're not, like, into experimental weird shit, like, you probably wouldn't love this movie. And there's def like, I agree, it could be shortened down. And the sound is kind of iffy in some sequences. But, you know, pros, I really like the music. Uh, I forgot to mention, the there's a weird song sung by a children's choir. 
at the end of the movie over the credits. Oh, yeah. And, um, it is a song I sang in a play called Parade. It's a musical. It's really depressing. It's about the murder of Mary Fagan and the conviction and, in my opinion, probably wrongful lynching. I mean, lynching is always wrong, but the, in my opinion, probably wrongful con- conviction of Leo Frank. Uh, but we did it in college, and I was in it, and we had to sing this weird hymnal called There is a Fountain. And if you don't know, it's there is a fountain filled with blood about how, like, when you, you wash all your sins away with Jesus's blood. And it's really weird. And they've re-lyricized it to there is a fountain filled with love for the modern age, but it's actually filled with blood, which makes sense because it's a vampire movie. But uh, I like that attention to detail. It's like what you were saying about, like, the music in the background of the car scene. How it's actually, like, telling the story. Mm. It's like, there's so much attention to detail. But it's, it is it is artsy-fartsy. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to say, like... I would say if you were more of a casual viewer, maybe watch The Sweet Blood of Jesus first. But honestly, I don't think you'll get a whole lot out of it. Because it also doesn't have a high rating on IMDb. Because I have a feeling a lot of people just watched it. I may have already said this. Because it was Spike Lee and just like, oh, he's a good director. And then we're like, what the fuck is this shit? But if you know the references to Ganjin has, because it is the same script with a couple tweaks here and yeah. there. Like, it is like very, it's, it's just like a different version of it. It's kind of like the tragedy of Macbeth. It is cool that we can make something that I think Bill Gunn, that's what he saw in his head when he made Ganjin Hess, if that makes sense. I don't know. No, it is what makes I sense. I don't think I'll be rewatching Ganjin Hess very often, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, I I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And I do have a a kind of closing yeah. statement on how I felt about the uh, not a very very long one, I promise. Oh, um so this was me this was me going on a mad tangent. I do that when I'm writing things sometimes. What? So I said Gun directed this in a completely disoriented style. Sometimes characters are only partially framed. Sometimes characters are in conversations, their lips moving but remain unheard. Time jumps around. There are scenes where we're not sure if they are the character's dream or some other plane in reality. It's at times absolutely frustrating, but also not like anything I've ever seen. Gunn used a vampire movie as a metaphor for race, sex, organized religion, and identity. And I'm not sure how much of it I understand or will ever understand. What I do know is that it's a movie ahead of its time, possibly still ahead of actual time, and deserves to be seen. And Bill Gunn is a filmmaker that deserves to be known. I like it. So those that's my final thoughts on it. I don't really understand it, but I I I'm glad I've seen it even though I don't really understand it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. But I mean, I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad we you picked it. I'm glad we saw it. I think it is important especially for Black History Month to like watch movies like this that were trailblazers. And I think it's very important. And I'm sad that I didn't know about this until recently. Like, Eve's Bayou. Although I will say, I think we both like Eve's Bayou yeah. way more. But this is still, a, I think it's interesting. And if you are a film fan, it's a good thing to see. It's an important film to watch. And I think there's a lot of yeah. strides made. Also, I just love that Mabel King is just hanging out in the background for, like, the whole movie. And she's such a... It's because she had like the biggest career out of all all of the cast, except for maybe the guy that played Archie, like uh, Leonard. Yeah, Uh, like it's very interesting. 
It's a lot, though. I feel like it's one of those movies. It's like climax. I'm like, I mean, I liked it, but am I gonna rewatch it a thousand times? No. Uh, but I really found it interesting. Yeah. And again, if you are more milk toast about it, just watch the Spike Lee one. But there's a very graphic love scene in the Spike Lee one, so I don't know. There's a few love scenes. I yeah. Do too. Did you? Do we have ratings for it? So I'll be honest. I give this a seven out of ten. So uh, once again, I think it's a very important film. I'm really glad I watched it. I think there's a lot of interesting ideas in it. I love the soundtrack. I think it's banging. Uh, mm-hmm. The performances, as you say, they're very fearless. There's some really interesting things going on in the script. I just don't really feel like it was my favorite movie. Now, I did have a harder time with Grindhouse Girls ratings. um, And they're very stupid. And I already know they're not going to be used this week. Um, But I had two ratings. uh, Rated V for Valuable Vampires. Okay. And uh, rated T for Tabooed Toe Rings. That's funny. I like the Toe Rings one. Yeah. (laughs) So, I okay, I had it as a 7 out of 10, but then I changed it to a 6 because I don't think there's a lot of rewatchability. But I still think it's good enough to see maybe 6.5. I just feel like there was a lot of, like, amateur stuff. This was before I listened to the commentary track, and now, like, it's endeared itself upon me because the people making it were so lovely, you know? But, like, it's a 6 or a 7. Like, eh, closer to a 7 than a 5. We'll say that. Yeah. I had rated D for Daggers, Deception, and Codependency. Yeah. I think that's definitely the better oh, okay. rating. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I yeah. liked the toe, the yeah. toe ring one, too. Yeah. Any other, like, thoughts? Feelings? I think, I think we I think we talked about pretty much everything. I think we hit everything. Yeah, we, we did. I think, yeah. I think I, I don't have anything else about it. Yeah. Um I was about to say, I think we're wrapped up on Ganja and Hess, Yay. and I think it's actually your turn. It is. So. So do we want to do a very depressing, graphically violent film about rape revenge, or do we want to do an experimental stop-motion animation film that is fake Nazi propaganda? I think we should do the experimental film, and the only reason I say that is because you brought up a very uh, interesting point how it could relate back to some current events going on okay. right now. So, um, so in case you you didn't know what I was insinuating there, um, we are going to do a little movie that was released a few years ago called The Wolf House, or La Casa Lobo, which is currently streaming on Tubi and on Shudder. So um, it's also been part of the Criterion Collection, which is where my snobby butt watched it last year. Um, It is an experimental stop motion animation film. It's only 70 something minutes. With that, I guess we'll get ready to say our good nights until we see you next week. So uh, I know Katie usually starts us off uh, with our are good good nights good evenings good mornings as you call them so <laughs> i won't repeat you but yes all of those um uh be safe get your shots take your vitamins um get some sleep wash your hands uh don't i don't know i know i'm going to like an event in a couple weeks and i've like deemed it that i'm not gonna go inside i'm gonna stay outside the whole time so live life but be careful wear a mask if you have to go inside 
and make sure everyone around you is vaccinated or just being safe and be kind and lovely to everyone and thanks for all the likes and subscribes and sharing and uh we love hearing comments so um if you ever feel embarrassed to leave a comment on a post don't we love comments we love them so much it's fun yes. to interact with y'all um and thank you comments are yes, and thank you for liking them uh prano bailey bond thank you for liking all of our posts about your wonderful movie censor i hope if you have time to listen to the episode that we do it justice um it's is that was pretty cool i was pretty fucking excited about that um but yeah uh it's been a cool week no it's been a weird week for me but uh we hope you're doing good i'm sorry we only did two episodes for black history month we just got behind on the schedule and before we realized it, it was in to february already and we were like oh shit so hopefully next year we will try to do better and i'm glad we talked about bill gunn because I feel like he yeah. missed a lot of recognition he deserved as a filmmaker. So yeah. thank you for picking such a good movie, Britt. And thanks for being awesome and thank making you. it thank through an episode for... with a headache. No, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for picking these by you. I absolutely adored it. So we we got in a we got in two really great movies. Um, both historical, I feel. Both like very um, uh disturbingly historical movies in very different ways yeah. so that was a, that was really nice to have a, a twofer a back-to-back uh with those two movies so yeah guys um as always to echo katie thank you for liking commenting subscribing we always uh, appreciate each and every one of you uh like katie said we always love the comments the likes and the subscribes are awesome but the comments oh they make our day um so yeah, this is your reminder, drink your water. Um, you know, Katie says take your vitamins. Please try to get some sleep. It's very hard. I know it's hard for me to sleep, but you need the rest. Do something nice for yourself. Take care of yourselves. And uh, thank you for letting us be a small part of your day. Um, and as always, we just look forward to seeing you um, next time. Same spoopy place, same spoopy yes. channel. Hey, spoopy y'all. Spoopy y'all. Bye. 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 Night, Brittany. Night, puppies and kitties. Grindhouse Girls Podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Britt Gray. Our editor is N.R. Moody. All music used is royalty-free and can be found in our annotations. You can follow us on all of our socials. And if you have any comments, questions, or just want to say hey, our email is contactus at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening.